Thanks, Jamie, for coming on to the podcast. Um, we want to go over briefly just the beginning of your journey from where it all started from university, where the entrepreneurship journey actually begun. I've listened to um, your other podcasts where you were talking about um, selling stones in school, I think it was, or all something right, like yeah. that. <laughs> so if you could go from literally from the beginning in terms of where it all started until like a certain, um, let's say a certain beginning of success. Okay, so when you say success, do you mean the first time I started making real yeah. money? No, I wouldn't say real money. I would say the first time you made like a large sum of money, like five grand, or like your first sell of um a, of a of a deal or something like that. All right, okay, so I mean I had all the playground stuff when I you know the side hustles and stuff like that, but that didn't really make me. You were the guy with the refreshers in your pocket, the pens, nothing like that. And you know what? The, the first memory. Somebody actually asked this, and I don't think this has been on a podcast before. Somebody asked me my earliest memory as an entrepreneur, and do you remember Pokemon cards? Yes. Yeah. You still collect them, obviously. And, uh, <laughs> and, ones. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was in, I think I was in year three or four, so seven or eight, and I wanted all of them, you know, the 150, I had the book to fill them up and all that. And my dad helped me out with like the starter pack, I don't know if you remember that, and then it was like three pounds for 11 cars, and it was like, shit, you know, that's quite expensive. So he weren't buying a load of those. But then I realised I had a load of doubles and stuff like that. So. Then I found out a mate didn't have one, so I'd sell him it for 10p and all of that. Yeah. Started doing that, and within about three weeks, I had, not all of the cards, but I had about 300 quid. And it was just like, oh my God. And I realized actually through my life, it was always that, like I wanted something, mm. and then I'd make money to facilitate it. Mm. And so they're sort of hustles, if you like. And I know as a kid, but it's still a mentality. And then that still went on when I was, 19 I made the first lump of cash and that was from trading and um, wasn't actually from trading as such I made money from trading but I hated it mm-hmm. and then I sold the company and we made like a quarter of a million mm-hmm. and then that really interests me the yeah. fact that, that transition and I would have thought that would have been a sort of business where you have to learn an awful lot in order to but it's that was quite a fast thing for you to do was it not or I've always been interested so like even when I was 16, the best thing I ever did, and I wish these were around, is, is, do you know what an arbitrage is? No. No. So, so an ar- arbitrage is a discrepancy in prices. So they're everywhere. You might go to B&Q and buy some light bulbs for three pound, but you go to Argos, they're two pound 50, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, it'd be breaking the law if you were doing this, but you could buy them from Ikea and return them. Yeah, exactly. You know, that sort of thing and make the difference. But we used to um, do a type of trading, so you'd, you'd bet, so, um, bet if you'd go long or short on it, so stop them. Mm-hmm. And um, there'd be these two websites that I'd say, right, I think it's gonna finish on zero or plus where it is now within 24 hours and I wanna win 25,000 pound. Sounds like gambling. It is gambling <laughs> if you do that, right? But then the arbitrage comes in. So I, that, they go, that's probably quite likely we're gonna charge you 20 grand for that. Mm-hmm. Go, okay, cool. Then you'd go on a different website and go, I reckon it's gonna go on zero or short, so lower, and I wanna win 25 grand. Mm-hmm. Now theoretically, that should cost five grand, right? So it's costing you 20 and five, but it didn't. Because of these discrepancies, it cost me 2,800 pounds. Mm-hmm. So no matter where it placed, I'd win. So that, that's an arbitrage. So it's just a, a loophole in the system, but that lasted about three months, but we made 
a decent chunk of cash back <laughs> we were doing. So how is it that you transitioned into that? Obviously you had an interest for it and then what happened? Like, Do, do you know what? I think... I don't know, like, there's the nature versus nurture argument, and it's a whole philosophical debate, isn't it? It's like, mm. is, are people made up of who they are as a person or mm-hmm. the environment that they were born into? And I think it's a mixture of both, because um, I'm probably very different from the rest of my family, some in a positive way, some in a negative yeah, way, sure. but we had a very similar environment, so it can't just be environment. But my environment was without going into a sob story, single mom, dad died when I was 13, hard upbringing financially, mm-hmm. but great upbringing otherwise. Um, mixed with that, I was fortunate enough to get into a really good school. Mm-hmm. So whilst my mum was dropping me off in a clapped out old shit van that when it broke, the black fucking smoke went through, people were, I, I remember one guy at the van, he, um, when he got his driving license, when he was 17, his dad bought him a Jag to drive to school and I was like, he was 17? And he was 17, I was like, you fucking kidding me? I was working in Subway trying to pay for my license, mm. you know? But I think because I had that upbringing, financially speaking, there, being surrounded by people there, and I saw the gap, and I realized that actually, money doesn't make you happy, it really oh. doesn't. What you can do with the money mm-hmm. can make you happy. Not having money causes a shitload of things going on. And every family that I knew, a middle-class family, they didn't seem to argue as much. My family, arguments all the time. When you got to the root of it, it was always money. Mm-hmm. And so I just made a decision from a very young age that actually, I want money. I want money. My, my dad was very good at earning money. He was just also really good at spending money. You know, he'd, he'd earn a good few grand a week and then piss it up the wall on Friday. And it's just like, all right, cool. So I learned the good things from what he was doing and also learned the bad things and what not to do. And then when I think, I mean, this is all in my head. I don't know if this is fact, but then I think when he died, that was a big shift in my mentality. So I was mm-hmm. 13 going 14 and suddenly it was like, right, I'm the man of the house. I'm going to start earning. Yeah. And, and I think all of that mixed together, it sparks. But the thing is, people ask about, whenever there's somebody that's relatively successful, ask about their journeys, almost like they wanna listen for themselves in that person. Mm. And I just wanna, like, if, if people are listening to this, it's encouraging them not to do that because everybody's got their own journey. I know people that have had a really nice middle-class upbringing, if not better, and they're great and they're really successful. I know people that have had really shit lives and they're really happy and, and, and very successful. And I think people just want to hear an underdog story and think yeah. it's more common. It's not. It's more marketable, right? It's That's, more marketable. Yeah. It's yeah. more marketable. And everyone likes an underdog. But you remember the underdog. So you start, it's, it's called confirmation bias, mm-hmm. right? So you start thinking that there's more of those people. There's not. Okay, so don't... You just it, see more of them because they're marketable. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So if you're, you know, if anyone's listening or you guys, you're in a situation, you think, shit, I don't have that background. And it's like, yeah, so what? It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's not what you asked at all. I would, say, <laughs> I would say that would be more of a mentality kind of thing in terms of like understanding who you are as an individual to really and truly pursue your dreams and goals. Yeah. I, th- I, think, I think people in general are a lot more complex than people um, yeah. give credit for. Like there's probably two people in my life that really know who I am. Mm-hmm. Everyone else is just an assumption, mm-hmm. um, you know. 
um, there'll be there'll be a huge part of people because I'm young, because I'm a guy. It'll be oh he's cocky. Mm. It's like you can't get away from that. It's just like maybe I am, maybe I'm not. Who knows? But it's like but a lot of people will think that. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of other people be like, oh, he's really modest. Some other people be like, oh, he's this, he's that. Truth is, you're not anything apart from who you are. Um, people just like putting labels. Well, people always see how people are stacked. Really, just changes the way that they see things, right? Everyone's got their own lens. I find, and I, I, what you're a lot of what you're saying now, it's almost like kind of NLP based. It's almost like kind of what your beliefs are, what you value, what you value the most. All these things change the way that you see other people, how you see the world, and how you see yourself as well. And I think what's interesting with you is you, you've, you've touched on something there that I quite agree with. And it's some of the stuff that makes you who you are is ingrained in you. But that's like programming over time, what you're subject to, who you're around. But I, I don't know about the rest of it. Like it sometimes there's a massive like catalyst for change in someone's life like for you something traumatic happened whether that changed something in you for you to go now okay that i'm the man of the house because a lot of the times that is the case for people something happens in their life and they think back and when they think back they think wow that that one thing sparked something and it it that one thing probably pushed your life in a completely different direction but i mean we don't know oh no it it 100 did like even before my dad died, which I think is the the bit that you're talking about, the change, yeah. It was a huge, you know what it was. It wasn't a change of direction. It was a catapult in mm-hmm. direction. I was always on that track. Um, you know, this is a bit where people will call me cocky. When people, if people ask me at any point, did I think I wasn't going to be a millionaire? No. It's like say so I love like that. I, yeah. if, if people ask me when I was ten. Like, mm-hmm. no, I'm going to be a millionaire. Mm-hmm. It was just, I mean, I didn't know what I was. Yeah. Like, I knew what it was, but it's like, I didn't know what that felt like. I didn't know if it meant anything really. Mm-hmm. It was just, a, yeah, I was always going to be a millionaire. I was always going to be rich. Why do you think that is? Why do you think you thought that? Why? Because obviously, thinking that enables you to have some sort of confidence in yourself. So, why, why is it that you had that confidence in yourself, do you think? I, I think I had. Most people around me never really expecting anything from me mm-hmm. because, you know, my, my background uh, is pretty chavvy, pretty rough. Um, you know, I'm from Temple Hill, which is, if you Google it, it's now been voted the worst place to live in 2019. Congratulations. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was, actually, I was chatting about this today. We're talking about Pokemon. Somebody asked me to describe Dartford. Not Dartford, it's Temple Hill, which is in Dartford. And oh. um, with a story, and um, it had to do with Pokemon cards. There was a kid down my—I don't know if this is podcast friendly at all. Fuck it. <laughs> um, a kid down my road got stabbed by an adult because he wouldn't give him his Charizard. And I thought, is that a Pokemon card? <laughs> yeah. yeah. What it's the it's the best Pokemon card. Charizard. So I should feel ashamed because I actually used to have the book. <laughs> China, Charmander, Chummy, and Charizard. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, it was a Charizard, but yeah. But I can't um, hang with these guys. I've got my level Pokemon. But I think because I had so many people doubt me, I, 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 I hated it, mm. and I didn't. Um, there was part of me, it's just like, why don't people believe me mm-hmm. and all of that sort of thing when I'd say something ambitious. Yeah. Um, but part of it was like, cool. Like I just always had it. Like this feeling is just like brilliant. I love yeah. that. 
because I'm, I'm exactly the same as well. Yeah. yeah. But I always had my mum, and my my mum was this sort of person. But she'd give me shit and like every other mum, right? But if I said to my mum when I was 12, you know what, when I'm 20, I'm going to go to the moon. And I said it in a serious way, she'd be like, brilliant, how are you going to do it? And it, and it wouldn't be in like a talking to a kid way. It'd be like, well, if Jamie said he's going to do that, he'll do it. And, and that sort of belief from somebody, which I know most people don't have that level, but because I had that, it's just like, how the fuck can I doubt myself when somebody else external yeah. from me genuinely believes in me that much? And I, th- I think that's a massive driver where I've, I've never doubted myself. And mm-hmm. even in situations where it's like, you know, so target now, by the time I'm 40, I want 5,000 units. It's just like, I don't have a clue how I'm going to do that. I don't. Like I've, got an, I've got a rough idea of the next steps mm-hmm. and how I'm doing that. And I've been doing some of those today, which is why I'm in London now. Mm-hmm. But... No idea how I'm going to get there, but I'll do it. Like, I've no doubt in my head that I'll do it. Mm-hmm. I need to figure out what the steps are, that's it. I think that's one of the things that, if you split people into groups and split up those that are really successful in whatever they do in life, whether it be property, business, sport, they've all got that one thing. And most of the time when you look at these people, they're all pretty convicted in, mm-hmm. in what they want. And I, like, I completely kind of concur with what you're saying. That some people I speak to, because I, like, we're very similar, aren't we? Like, we have a thing where I can envision like, where I want to be, and I'm convicted, like, so grounded in the fact that I will get there, because I will just do anything it takes to get there. And some people you talk to, and you'll tell them what you want to do, and you can see their, like, you can see their disbelief, even if they're, like, agreeing with you in a way. Mm. But other people, like your mum, for example, like, everything, the tonality, how she comes across, you can just tell that she's got every bit of faith that you're gonna do it. Oh, yeah. And that is such a good driver to move forward because you like, it's almost the accountability. Yeah. Now I've got to do it and not just, and I find a lot of times the stuff that you work for, not always for you, for other people as well, like just to, like to, to do that for your mum, like to, to let your mum see you achieve the things that you said you were gonna achieve is another mass, massive thing, isn't it? That's why I think it's good to tell people. I mean, it's, it's huge, you know, if you if you think about all the things people congratulate people mm. for, you know, you, oh, you've got a new job down the road, congratulations, <laughs> you know, and good on them, you know, mm-hmm. they've they got a new job, oh, you, you got into that university, congratulations, because it all fits the mould of what we're told to grow up with. Yeah, when's yeah. the last time, genuinely, when's the last time somebody said, you know what, I've quit my job. Mm-hmm. And I'm really going to give it a go in my own business this year. And when's the last time you saw family members, friends go, good on you, mate. I'm backing you. It's rare. It's rare. Mm-hmm. You know, only, I see it. Only other entrepreneurs would be saying that to other entrepreneurs pretty yeah. much. It's very rare. And people um, talk about risk. And, um, but that's their programming though, right? But how fucked up is that, right? <laughs> so, so I have people come to me, well, what about the risks? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you're kidding me. Like my worst case scenario is I try and follow my passion for a year, a two year. If I really, really fuck it up, I have to go and live with my mum, which is cool. Mm-hmm. I'd love to spend more time with my mum. Mm-hmm. And I have to get a job like all the rest of you fuckers. <laughs> it's just like, so my worst case scenario is your life right now. Yeah. That's cool with me. Yeah. You know, we, we are so fortunate. And I don't know where your listeners are, I'm gonna guess predominantly here in America, more than likely. Mm-hmm. We, we live in two of the most powerful countries in the world where you know, you know we are so privileged. And you know, and talking for myself, going a little bit deeper, I don't want to go too much into it. I am born in England, 
I am white, I am Mao. It's just like that is so many levels of privilege there mm-hmm. that other people don't have in other parts of the world or even in our country. I've got no fucking risk doing what I'm doing. If I lose any, if I have to claim bankruptcy, the banks let me get away with it and let me have another go in six years. Come on, like seriously. <laughs> it is, I, I love that way of looking at it because I see it in a similar ways. What's the risk? Because people always talk about risk and if someone's in a relatively high paying job for all their life and then you go and tell them that, oh, I'm gonna quit my job and I'm gonna go and do this. It's very rare, like you say, someone will actually say to you, oh, you know, good on you, this and that. A lot of times they'll be thinking about the risk. But I don't really see more, there's not that much more risk. Because what's the worst case scenario is you go back into a job. If you, if you attack defensively, and I know that's a bit of a dichotomy and a little bit of a word there, but it's like attack defensively all the time. Imagine you're, um, right, a really weird analogy. Imagine you're on a trampoline, right? Um, you're small, you're weak, you've not got great muscles, but you're jumping and you've got to jump 10 metres and touch whatever the fuck it is. And if you touch it, the hoop, the net, whatever, you're going to be a millionaire, right? Now, you can be stupid and just go and start jumping. Or you can go, hold on, if I jump that high and I go off of this, I'm going to hurt myself. Let's set up a net around me first. And then I'm going to develop and you know what? I'm gonna try by the end of this year to get to five meters. What does that mean? Well, I'm gonna to try to get to one meter in three months, then f- then three meters within the next three months, then four meters, and you're building it up like that. And so then, you're, you know, you're, you're planning ahead, attacking that this is a two year goal to jump that. I'm not expecting a penny for two years. The thing is, if you can set your mindset from the start, your own expectations, and this is where people go wrong. This is why people come from courses and go, fuck's my money three months later? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, why am I quitting my job right now? Because Dave down the road managed it. Well, good on Dave. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. genuinely good on him. One, let's see if he's doing it in another year because consistency is a very different game to getting a five grand in your pocket. Mm-hmm. And two, that's not the expectation that you should be setting yourself. If you, if you plan it out over that period, you've got the right mindset and you've set that net up around you. Um, and it's just the same with like, you know, the, the recession, fucking all these people, the recession's come in, the recession's come in, everyone's fucking right. If you carry, if you stay, the recession's come in, you're going to be right at some point. Yeah. It's like, and then you'll give yourself the pound back, oh, I called this three years ago. It's Confirmed, like, yes. Yeah, it's like, well done, mate, good prediction. It's <laughs> awesome. It's just like, right, cool. That's like me going, there's gonna be another boom. It's like, yeah, mm. there will be after the next recession. It's a cycle. But if you attack defensively, and this is why I worry about newer um, people in property specifically, is they'll go in and they're trying to refinance at 85% and pull all of their money out. It's just like, that's oh, cool. leveraging. The, the thing is, if you're willing to take that risk, I don't mind an aggressive attack, you know, if you're going, right, I'm gonna f- f- fucking try and get my every penny out of every property for the first 10, mm-hmm. and then I'm gonna start reinvesting in to get it up to that 30% loan to value. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's all these people talking about, I've got a million pound portfolio, it's all good on you, or you wash your equity. If you had to sell it tomorrow, and I don't mean equity on paper because you managed to refinance it. If you had to sell it tomorrow, what's your situation? Because most of them would be left with fuck all. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah. From, from after, going back to what we were doing in terms of um, after the, 
the selling of the company, of the trading company. After that first period of time, when did you start the sourcing company with your business partner, Dan Bertrand? Um, we did want to speak about that because we're relatively new in business together, mm-hmm. but um, we were trying to discover the benefits of working with somebody else um, and how like, it, it will be positive on the business. Okay. So if you go through that, we'd love it. Yeah, so basically when we got the core of a million, so we never actually sold the company, it was an algorithm that we sold. Um, but that's by the by. And then we had that money, was not ready for it, spent it, pretty much all of it in a year. Mm-hmm. Got a bit of a slap by my lecturer who inspired me to get into property. And I was one of these guys that I'd watched a load of homes under the hammer and I was looking at these thinking, if these fucking idiots... <laughs> can, honestly, that's the same thing can I think. Make, <laughs> ...can make money. Literally, they've got these who I now know are not experts at all, but exactly. you, watch, you watch Martin mm-hmm. and Lucy as it and you decide, well, they're bloody experts, and um, they're ignoring every piece of advice they get, and they're still making money. It's like, well, I'm fairly intelligent, I can do it. So numb nuts over here went, right, how much money do I have left? I had about 20 grand. And I thought, right, can I get a mortgage? No, because um, I was 19 and nobody was giving mortgages then. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, right, where can I find a 20 grand property? Burnley. So <laughs> they say, by the <laughs> I lived in London, so this is 200 miles away, and they say, um, buy the worst house in the best street, right? So I bought the worst house in the worst street in the worst area of the UK. Um, and it was a three bed mid terrace property, 36 Burdett Street, uh, 21,800 pounds. And um, I thought, yes, I'm making it. And I, but seriously, it was like, well, I know that I could get it up, I could get it to value at 40. So I was like, right, buy my 20, put five grand into it, refinance at 40 just keep on doing that did you have any like property education at this point no 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 not for i'd I'd been brought up around it Mm -hmm. not property investment i mean like the laboring side Mm -hmm. construction Mm -hmm. side um yeah so i I, I knew how to get my hands dirty yeah and um i had no money left then didn't really think it through so i didn't have any tools i didn't have any money to get thing but i was working three jobs trying to get some more money and and all that and then my mate's dad bought me a van bought me a toolbox and went gone then go sort it out and a sleeping bag that was it and uh, this van most um, important bit yeah it, I'd, I had headphones on because it had no radio and um, and then I'd drive up on a Friday I'd get paid cash in hand I'd drive up to Burnley about 220 miles and um, <laughs> the door had been broken into so it had like a little lip on it so if you went above like 50 miles an hour, it for 200 miles. <laughs> so I just had my headphones on, but I'd drive there, I'd sleep in the back of the van, then in the morning I'd grab tools and I'd literally just sit on YouTube, learning how to wire a house. And then I'm mm-hmm. going, right, buy the wiring. Oh, fuck that up, right, go and do another one. Literally did that for the whole house, apart from the gas. And that was good. And then it took me about nine months and it was just about ready to fit the carpets. And I went round and I opened it up and like, just, you know, you can sense something's wrong. I was like, oh, fuck. So it was dusty, it was smelled damp. I was like, oh, no. So I looked in, the radiators had been nicked, the wiring had been pulled out of the wall, the copper had been taken off, and then in the kitchen, the flooring had just been dug up. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, fuck, if they dug up. Um, turns out there's lead in the floor in there, which is worth a bit of money, or it was anyway. And so I actually thought fair play to them, you know, that's, that is a lot of effort. And that was it, and I was ready to pack it in. And then my 
now business partner, Dan Buchan, um, he said, you should come along to this property seminar. And I was like, oh, let me have a look. And I, I looked at a video of it and I was like, mate, that just looks like a happy cap. Was it by a progressive? Cult, yeah, progressive. Yeah. I was like, that sounds like a cult, mate. <coughs> and then um, I went by and um, he went, just go to this event, multiple streams event. So I went along and uh, I was bought into it. But like, at the start, I was the guy at the back like that. Mm-hmm. Literally anyone that went to the table time, I was like, fucking morons. <laughs> like, they've just given you the information, you don't need to pay. <laughs> And then I did. Um, I didn't actually, I called him up. And I went, yeah, fair play, it sounds really good. And um, and he went, oh, what do you reckon? And I was like, yeah, I think we should go on the course. And he went, oh, thank God for that. I went, why is that? He went, I've paid for it already. <laughs> so, what if I said I didn't like it? He was like, well, I would have had to pay, wouldn't I? I was like, yeah, fair play. So what happened from you standing at the back, obviously, with your mindset initially, to, to go from that to buying the course, like what made you do that? Well, it's very, you, you have to bear in mind, like, I've always had a positive mindset and I think an open mindset, mm-hmm. but when you're showed something, when, what was I, I was 19 then, so, yeah, 19 then, and I've had 19 years of life, let's say 15 years of life that I know what's going on, being told this is what life is. Mm-hmm. Programmed. You, you, you're programmed and, I'm not going to go through, you know, the school and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So you're programmed that way to then go and have somebody tell you, you know, you can be earning 50 grand, 100 grand in a year. It's a bit like, you know, it's crazy. Too, year, good, too good to be true. In, in my head, 50 grand a year by the time I was 50, that was genuinely like in my head. It was like mm-hmm. 50 by 50. That sounds sweet. Imagine my life. Like in my family, there's there's one of my aunties that earns okay money, like 30 odd, something like that. Apart from that, everyone else, 20s, teens, all on the dog. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, so that was my upbringing. Mm-hmm. And it was like, so I think that's why I had that going in and thinking everyone's an idiot, you know, because a couple of grand for a course was like, whoa, that's crazy. Yeah. And then, but I'm, I've also been a big believer, and this is because of my mum actually, um, she said, if there's one person, you don't need a hundred, if you've got one person that's in a similar situation to you and they've ma- managed to do it, then why the hell can't you? Mm-hmm. So that was it. And it was one person and uh, not really a similar background, but like didn't come from money. And that was enough for me. Um, you know, they don't need to tick all the boxes. Mm-hmm. And then it's just like, right, they've managed to make some money. Mm-hmm. And if they can do it, it wasn't yeah. actually the person talking, it was a testimonial. Somebody had been doing it for six months and had made 10 grand. And I thought, cool, if they've made 10, I can make 100. Why, why can why not? I'll just work harder than everyone else. That was it. And I just thought, right, so I can either go and do this for a couple of years myself, which was what most people do, and that's fine. Um, sometimes it's the best thing to do, but I, I, I don't want to waste time. Like, even though I'm a kid, I was definitely a kid then. It's like, I don't want to waste two years. Mm-hmm. And I know that ignorance costs a hell of a lot more in education. Mm-hmm. Now I really know how much more it costs than education. And so I just thought, you know what, for the sake of a couple of grand, anybody, oh, homeless person on the street, they can get hold of a couple of grand. Like if they really want it, it's just about where your priorities are. If you want to change your life, you've got to change what you're doing. If you're going mm-hmm. to do the same shit over and over, don't expect anything different. So you bought the course with um, your business partner Dan. Yeah. And how soon after was it when you started to make 
money from the business? So there's two parts of that. Um, the first time, nothing for a long time because we come away with it and did nothing. Oh, okay. Literally, just like I was working, I'd, I'd got a job in recruitment, mm. um, not done anything with it, and then I thought, hold on, we should go and reset this. So we managed to blag our way onto that, didn't have to pay. Um, got onto it, and then it was about three months later, we sold our first deal, but like anyone when they're starting out, you don't value yourself because you, you think I'm the one with the time, they're the ones with the money, they're worth more than me. Financially, yes, but actually you realize that you're actually, if anything, more valuable than them because people with money, it's easy. Exactly. Um, people with time and skills and expertise. So we charge 570 pounds. For the deal? For the deal. What was that, just wow. a buy to that? Just a basic, basic buy to that. Mm-hmm. Um, Where was that? In Burnley. Mm-hmm. 19,000, <laughs> stuck to my speciality. Yeah, um, yeah it's um, 19,000 and we charged 3%. So 570 quid. <laughs> That's ridiculous. And, um, and then after that, we were like, I think we should set a minimum fee. Yeah. Um, but even then it was only like 1,500 that we set. Oh, okay. set. But um, still that feeling, right, of, of going from, okay, we're going to try this to, okay, well, this actually works. What shifted then? Like, did you think, okay, let's, let's go ham on this, let's do this properly? And People are always waiting for the big sign. Mm. And the big signs come from the small signs. The thing is, people, people talk about overnight success. It's just like there's not one person I know apart from lottery winners and things like that, that have become an overnight success. Mm-hmm. Every single person you think has become an overnight success has been been doing it for years yeah. before. You know, like if we're talking about social media, we'll probably chat about it in this, mm-hmm. but you think about Gary Vaynerchuk, he did about three years of YouTube videos where nobody was watching, nobody gave That's a exactly, shit, yeah. but the quality, the quality of the video was crap, but the quality of the content is just as good as what he's doing now. But nobody was listening. Mm-hmm. And yet, he's now got 6.5 million followers on um, Instagram. It's compound interest though, right? It's compound. Mm. It's compounding all the time. And th- this is the thing when people talk about the secret to success. The, the secret is wake up and do one thing every day that's getting you one step closer to a paycheck. Mm-hmm. That's it. If you do that 100 days in a row, if you don't have money, something's gone wrong. Yeah, you've probably been spending too much time doing the research and not enough action to make mm-hmm. money. Um, so I don't think there's any big movement in it. I think the, the confidence is there's now physical and practical proof of yeah. it. Whereas before, as much as I believe in the people doing it and all of that, it's still very much theory. It's great for them, but what about me in my exact situation, in my location, in my financial situation, in my time pressures, with my background? Um, you know, all of those things that come in with my age group, you know, all of that, are people going to take me seriously? Which mm-hmm. they don't, because you're younger, and some people do because you're younger. Mm-hmm. Um, but then once you've done it once, and then if somebody said, I'll put your minimum fee up, and they said, put it up to five grand, <coughs> I was like, no way. Put it up to 1,500, and nobody bat an eyelid. Mm-hmm. And then when we hit the VAT threshold, Dan wanted to reduce our fee by the VAT so that we swallowed it. I was like, no, 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 let's just chuck it on top, see what people say. Mm-hmm. Not one person 
This is like a Dan Lok scenario though, right? Yeah, if yeah, anyone knows the Dan Lok story, it's probably worth looking into. But his mentor um, once told him, you know, double what you're charging. He was yeah. a copywriter at the time. Mm. And Dan Lok looked at him and said, there's no, there's no fucking way. Mm. <laughs> and uh, he doubled it and people paid it. And he done that again and again and again and again. He, was, he ended up, uh, I think he was the world's highest paid consultant because he charges around about fifty thousand dollars for like an hour of his time and he's, he never gives a discount he's, he's done calls on he's so it. funny it's, yeah. it's like sheer audacity but hilarious at the same time because he just look you dead in the eye and go look it's that price either pay it or don't pay it yeah and people pay it that's what he's saying though, yeah and you, and there's you a certain element of that the, yeah, the, the sour aspect of it you need mm. to mold to your country mm-hmm. um you know I've, I've seen dan lock and I, I don't know him well enough to comment, but I mean, I look at him and think, run a fucking mile with his mm. red velvet suit. Dan would love that. He did do a um, TEDx talk actually when he was wearing the suit. He was like, people say don't do this, people say don't wear a red suit. Fuck, fuck people, I'll do well. <laughs> well, that's it, he's, he's, he's doing what he's doing, right? And he's making a mint off it, so fair play to him. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, and it and it is good to own it, but mm. it's just it's just those small little things, small small little changes. So, you know, in the sourcing business, we've got we sell BMV that charges the three percent mm-hmm. um, plus the VAT, and that, that I love the company though. Where so we source all over the UK. People come to us, we charge them a finder's fee, happy days, and then we've got APG Aspire Property Group where we charge six and a half thousand. Now, a lot of the investors that are on We Sell BMV would be like, oh, six and a half grand, no, no, I'm not paying that. Mm-hmm. Whereas, that's because they want to get heavily involved in property, whereas APG is by property group. Hands off. Hands off. Yeah. So it's like, we'll find it, we'll refurb it, we'll get mm-hmm. it let out. Like they, Most of them have never been to their property. Mm-hmm. So we have people coming to that, and it's weird, because again, Dan's more worried about those sort of things than me, because I'm just like, no, I know our value because um, I'm the one that works it all out and sells it mm-hmm. we now have people coming to us and going like we had somebody a few weeks ago that went I don't understand how you make money I was like well I'm going to charge you six and a half grand it's my construction company mm-hmm. that's doing that and it's like that's it we don't get kickbacks like, that's what it was like yeah but apart from the six and a half grand where are you making money I was like that is it mm. it was like so why are you doing it and it's like so it's it's a, it's weird it's weird isn't it and it's just like right I want more clients like that yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, right, I'll charge you 10 grand <laughs> yeah, yeah. but that, that's it and it, it is one of those things and with that sort of service as well you know if you if you're if you're providing a lower value service you need to be realistic when you're providing a higher value service you can realistically charge a lot more than you think so train training is a prime example you know if I sent you a two day course for 10 grand most people are like no way whereas two grand three grand maybe four that's probably pushing that but let's say two grand that's pretty reasonable mentoring if I said five grand to you you'd be like cool if I said 25 grand to you you'd probably be like cool might not be ready for you right now but you probably wouldn't be like that is fucking ridiculous mm-hmm. you'd probably be like great that's a high level mentor mm-hmm. and, it, and it's about that's exactly the Dan Lock scenario Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, well, Dan Lock, um, you know, he'll be doing, he'll be giving away a free book. I don't, I don't know, some Something sort of like closing survival yeah. guide type thing. Salesman, sell me this pen mm-hmm. shit going on, right? And then it'll be, we'll tell you what, why don't you come on a webinar for free? Mm-hmm. And then it'll be an online course for 
a grand yeah. and then it'll be on oh, coming to value, London value ladder it's value yeah, yeah. value ladder that's, that's, all, that's all it is but you know the, the more value you add and that, that's where it comes if, if you want to be successful you need to make the lower part of the ladder as accessible as possible and you need to give so much more value than you're ever going to get paid there mm-hmm. almost to the point almost as much value as you're giving up there the only difference is that's one to one personalised this is generic you know Gary V, for example, he talks about how he gives away all this because I don't need to sell courses. Yes, you fucking do. It's got one of the most expensive masterminds in the country. You pay 10 grand for half a day. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's just like, he acts like it's, it's still We boring. have this thing, yeah, because you're a big fan of Gary V's, right? Yeah. And not that I'm not, or I am, it's just like probably not as much as you. I don't resonate with him as much as Aaron does. And I'm not, I find that like, like, it is contradictory. A lot, a lot of that stuff like that is a prime example I don't need to do that but you, there's you people are. out there who are willing to pay for it oh you know what I mean? so like that's the value built, proposition he's built right? such a large following and there's mm-hmm. one episode on his YouTube where he says how many people do you think if I told them I'll do a one to one mentorship with you for one whole year and I'll charge you £250,000 how many people do you think will come to me and say yes like hundreds if not thousands of people and he can make a ridiculous amount of money just from that, even mm. though like he's got his companies and stuff like that. But um, I don't necessarily think he does do mentorship on one-to-one basis. No, he doesn't. He does mastermind. So he would, I think it's called 4D days, mm-hmm. where you go there with your business. And uh, it's, it's a full day, but you get like two hours with him. And then the, the rest of it's with his videographers saying, like, you need oh. to get content out in this way, that sort of thing. And it's 10 grand for it. So it's like, Would you ever do that? Yeah, absolutely. No doubt. Oh. <coughs> do you value Gary do you like Gary B's content and stuff like that or or is there any content that you actually like absorb in terms of like podcasts books um, YouTube content um, I flitter around quite a lot simply because there's so much and it's like what I tend to find with people is like there's a lot of people that are good for a while and then they go a bit stale um, I like Gary Vaynerchuk I like Grant Cardone not so much about the content, if I'm honest. I like watching them. Um, That's the same as me. I'm, I'm the weird guy, like, you know how people fast forward on adverts uh, to watch TV? I'm the sort of guy that would fast forward through the TV to watch the adverts. Because okay. I, I don't mean literally. <laughs> yeah, no, that is a bit weird. <laughs> it's just a shit I do in my spare time. Now, but the reason why I, I, I do some of those, I like to see what they're putting out there, why it's working in a certain way. You know, I was looking at Gary today, and I'm sure I only checked him a couple of months ago and he was on 6 million on Instagram. Yeah. And he's now on 6.5 million today. And there was one video, let me have a look, the other day that he hit, he's hit almost a million on it, on Instagram views. And it's just absolutely crazy. Mm. Absolutely crazy, and I just think, right, if somebody can do that when he's pumping out like five Matt, bits yeah. of content mm-hmm. a day. But it's just built that up over time. It's that exponential growth curve, isn't it? And now that's not what you were saying earlier, like if you touch back on that, a lot of people think that it just happens like that. But what they don't see is that constant, constant, constant effort, and then it starts to try to take off. Exactly. Growth isn't linear. Growth isn't no. linear. And I, I think people know that, but they still expect it to be. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you don't fucking deserve it. I think it's because like, because you're programmed in terms of a job being growth quite, being li- um, linear in terms of promotions, and you're going to get uh, more and more money. 
But then in entrepreneurship, the graph is like, you know, <laughs> you're going to go round and round. You're going to yeah. go up and down all yeah. the time. Backwards sometimes. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and, and sometimes they're the best moves, by the way. Mm. People see you taking a step back as a, a bad thing, like, oh, you're losing. Some, that's one of the that's smartest you the things. Most. Yeah. Well, when it's deliberate, I mean. Oh, right. um, you know, when people deliberately take a step back, I grew too fast. I mm. did this, I did that. Did you feel like you did that with your company? At times, yeah. I mean, we, we got to a point where very early on, well, not very early on, maybe like three years in, we had like 150 grand a month. And it was just like, okay, that's, that's cool. But then we were focused so much on facilitating that and getting it through that the next three months were like 30 grand, which is still great, but it's like it's nowhere near exactly. that level. You know, it dropped by 500%. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, whoa, that's, that's pretty big. And then, but that's not a bad thing. Sometimes that's a good problem to mm-hmm, have, you know. But it's then like, okay, so we're probably making that now in terms of sales and but now we've got a team. To so, do we're not, so we're not making as much net profit, but we're in a better position. So financially, we're making less than we were three years ago net, but it's a better position because I'm here and I'm still making that money. Exactly. I've just been around Europe and I still made that money. I could be doing whatever I want and I still make that money. Because you've got the systems in place. Yeah, so, so the way I sort of visualize it is you've got taps, pipes, and a bucket, right? I've got my bucket there, which is solidified. It's ready to collect money. Mm-hmm. The pipe is the staff, the systems, the processes, which I didn't have before. Mm-hmm. And then the taps, the marketing. So the thing is, if I, what I was doing is turning on that tap at the start and had no fucking pipe work, so it's just pissing everywhere. <laughs> um, so it look, look, looks impressive to everyone else going, look mm. at this tap, you must be making a mint, which is what most people think. And that's the thing, you look on Instagram now, any fucker with the Lambo, I guarantee they're the poorest in their friendship group. Guarantee it. It's the guy that's hanging around with them, that's driving around in their Volvo. Guarantee they've got more money in their yeah. bank, better investments. Mm-hmm. It's just people are so obsessed with showing people wealth rather than having wealth and it's 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 sort of like a short-term lifestyle boost to a real lifestyle and i think that's what i realized so now i've got my pipes there now i've got my bucket there in a pretty solid way that's what i think today in five years i might look back and go still screwing around there Mm -hmm. i could turn on my tabs Mm -hmm. so if i want to make an extra hundred grand next month i just put in another 15 Mm -hmm. it's just like cool and i know that because of the metrics and KPIs, which I wouldn't have known a few years back. And that's a business rather than a hustle, I think. I think that leads really quite naturally into one question I was going to ask you. And it is with regards to, like you say, you've got everything going in on the business, but you've got to keep the tap running, right, with the marketing, and you've got to keep funding deals through. Would you say there's a certain percentage of what you earn that you put back into marketing? Do you work it on a percentage? Yeah, I do, yeah. Um, around 30% um, of what I do because I want to grow fairly aggressively. That's more than what I thought you was going to say, yeah. which is quite interesting. I've, I want to get fairly aggressive. Like Financially, I personally want to be taking home a million a year after tax mm-hmm. um, by the time I'm 30, so I've got three years to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I reckon I'll get there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm okay. I'm okay taking home next to fuck all like mm-hmm. in fact that's, that's exactly what I do I pay myself you know and mm-hmm. most of my lifestyle is paid by my business so it's a bit easier than yeah. um, making out like oh poor me but it's like 
you know what, like it's deferred gratification. And I've been going since I was, well, 19 fucking around, but 2021 20, really. And it's just like, I don't live a frivolous lifestyle. All right, I've got the car, I like some cars and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's about, look, you, you either, say you make a hundred grand this year or 50 grand, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Most people that go, is they make that hundred grand, let's assume it's after tax to make it easy. They'll go, nice, I'll put 80 grand of that in my pocket. Whereas the smart guy goes, well, you know what? I've been living off 15, 16. I'll pay myself 20 so I can buy myself a little treat. Yeah. And yeah. that 80 grand next year goes into systems, maybe a staff member mm-hmm. and marketing and mm-hmm. developing and branding. Then they see where you are next year. You might make 100 grand a year, but, you're, but you've got everything laid out. So the next year, you're not spending that on the staff systems. You're now spending 40 grand on marketing over a year. Then the next year, you make half a million. And that's where the jumps come out. Like, you know, it's, it's patience, not just about patience, about when the money starts coming in. You see these, you see people thinking that they are their company, their bank accounts, the company. It's not, yeah. they're very different things. Just because your company made 10 grand last month, last month you are still broke. <laughs> and I think people need to get that as well. Making 10 grand a month, you're poor. <laughs> Stop pretending you've got fucking money. You're broke. Act like you're broke. Invest in yourself, invest in your marketing. And then when you're making some serious money, you know, for example, if you want to take home 10 grand a month, that's money. That's a decent chunk, right? But your business needs to make 30 a month plus some before you're taking that out. And I think if you could do that, then you can have 10 grand forever. If you start taking 10 grand when you're making 10, 12 grand, you'll be doing that for about a year. And then as soon as you have a knock, which you will, every business, every business you know, whether it's a month, a year, you know, they'll be able to weather that because they protected themselves and they're not taken out 100%. So yeah, about 30%. Do you think that you realize that? Because I think that's a level of emotional maturity to be able to just that and just common sense, I guess, to think, okay, well, maybe I shouldn't just spend. Do you think that come along when you sold the original business and you kind of spent a lot of that money and you could have probably done a lot more with it? Do you think that's perhaps what taught you that lesson? I think it's really hard to narrow it down. I think that was a big, a big one. Mm-hmm. So somebody, somebody asked me why, why I think I'm more successful than them. And I said, well, I never said that. But I think may, if that were true, I think it's because I've made more mistakes than most people have tried. And mm-hmm. I thought, as I said, it was like, that's, that's a decent line. That. And I was like, mm-hmm. but it's true. It's like, I reckon I've made more mistakes in a relatively short amount of time than most people have ever tried in their life. Mm-hmm. And that's an example. It's just like, yeah, I fucked up. I mean, I was 19, I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, and I'll fuck up again. I'll make yeah. bigger mistakes than that, I guarantee it. Yeah. I'll do more than that this year in silly mistakes, you know. It is what it is. But if you get back up and actually learn from that, and that's, that's the difference. Don't make mistakes and just think, oh, yeah, everyone makes mistakes. Mm-hmm. Like, make them, if you make the same mistake twice, you're a fucking idiot. Right? You paid for that mistake, essentially. That yeah. mistake was an expensive lesson. It, yeah. It's just like buying a course. Like, you get the value back from the mistake, don't you? So. That's it, yeah. And when, when people talk about mentors and stuff, and you guys have got mentors, obviously I mentor people, I, I often say to people, it's like, if you're going to invest in me, it's not just what you're going to learn from me, it's the mistakes I've made, and I've yeah. made plenty. You don't have to make them. You don't need to make those mistakes. Yeah. But even then, some people need to feel it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for, for no, it to you, come, you know, sometimes you have to be 
fucking eating pasta for three weeks and that's that because mm-hmm. you did that stupid mistake mm-hmm. and that's good you know eat shit for a while um, you know so, sometimes you have to to push through that other side but yeah I don't, I don't think it comes down to just one mistake I think it's continuous mistakes and again like I'm thinking in my head that, that upbringing I, I know what my upbringing was mm-hmm. and I don't want it and I know what's there and I want it mm-hmm. and I'm probably here. Now, I'm fine being here for the next 10 years if it means one step forward in 10 years. Mm-hmm. I'm not willing to accept a step backwards. And so I protect that, you know, the net that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. So early doors, I set up the buffer in the account. So any business, you, you need to pay yourself to survive. And for me and Dan at the start, that was a grand each. That's all we needed to survive. Mm-hmm. And then this angered him and me, but I said, we do not touch a penny until we have six months buffer in one account, which means that we can make zero. It pays us our grand a month and everything else we've got going on in the business, mm-hmm. plus two months trading. So eight months essentially, and we do not touch it ever. And it just sits there. And we still got that today, and obviously our expenses are a it's lot higher now. Yeah. But it now means, I'm, I think we've got like eight or nine months, I don't know, but I don't care, as long as we've got six. When we get to a certain size, it will be, um, a year then a year and a half mm-hmm. Apple th- that's where I got it from they've got a thousand years worth wow. of money nice. cash sat there it's a lot of years it's, it's a, lot, a lot, lot of years I've heard the same thing from Rob Moore though on one of his podcasts he, he does the same, same. Yeah, exactly. he, he would have got it from Apple, Apple. Apple as well mm-hmm. it was about nine years ago I heard about it um, it was definitely Apple that I heard it from yeah he's, he does like three years now yeah um, something like that but it's just it's just you got to protect yourself. You got to take it r- risks, right? If something came up, or it was too good to miss out on, I'd take the punt. I'd go for it. I'd expose myself, and then I'd backtrack and cover my ass as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, it's so tempting, especially in property, because you get this addiction. I bought one. Oh, I've got to get the next one. I've got to learn that. Sometimes you have to go. It's a good deal. There'll be another one. Mm-hmm. And you know, my mate will have that, and I'll make a few grand. You know, it's okay to do that. You, you, you don't get to take over the world in a day. Sometimes, you know, in trading, the, some of the smartest trades were the ones you didn't do. And uh, it's the same in property. Some of the best buyers you'll ever make. From being like a deal sourcer, um, do you, you probably see all these great deals all the time. Do you get tempted to buy the great, great ones all the time? Or mm-hmm. is it the situation literally with what you just said that you just let it go? It's a bit different now because I, I, like, I get to buy them. Like pretty much everyone I want, I'll buy. Um, but I have a very strict criteria. Um, so if it's not in my area, even if it's so tempting, like, you know, you'll get some stupid ones, like 40% below market value. Wow. It's just like, no, doesn't fit my criteria. Because Somebody it's not in the area or? Can be area, yeah. I'm quite strict on my areas mm-hmm. um, now. You know, I've done, I've done it before. I've got portfolios in Northeast, down here with like different areas and it's just like too much headache in terms of managing the projects and stuff like that yeah it's just you, you know what like I'm no longer interested in the 40 grand properties I want 120 grand property that's going to get a good family in with their fa- with their kids yeah, exactly. and maybe they want to buy it off me in 10 years you know that's good for me simple the thing is you've got all these strategies and they're all they all work they're all brilliant I'm just boring you know mm. like I want 
They're the safest ones. I want a, a billion pound asset base and I want them all to be boring, two and three bed. That's family. If you can have an asset base like that and they're safe assets. I mean, I think, I believe in asset allocation anyway. I think everyone's got a different risk appetite and some people just obviously funnel their money into high risk and some people just do a, a simple family buy to their portfolio. Um, but if you can do a buy to debt for portfolio that is a safe asset class and do that at scale, like, yeah. why would you not do that? Yeah. So it's all about, um, as, as you said, asset allocation, money mm-hmm. allocation, and like, I, I do pot systems mm-hmm. for things. So whenever money comes in, I've got an account with my main in, yeah. um, financial freedom, all mm-hmm. that thing. I think it was T. Harvecker that originally did it. And Tony Robbins does a very similar thing. Yeah, I think he does. Mm. Um, it was T. Harvecker that I originally learned it from. It was a money pot system. Mm-hmm. I think he was the original. Yeah, you got like your safety bucket, your investment bucket. Yeah, yeah, all of those. And then it's the same with my investments. You know, I'll have 80% of my money going into something I perceive myself at the moment to be an expert in or mm-hmm. a relative expert to what I know about other stuff, which for me is property. So 80% will go into buy to less. And even within that property chunk, it will go into buy to less. Then some of it might go into purchase lease options, rent to SA, whatever it is. But 80% will go into buy to less because it's what I know, it's what I trust. And I know that's not going to get taken away. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas some other strategies, you know, we're talking about SA. SA is mm-hmm. a brilliant strategy. Um, but councils and governments getting pressure from hotels and hotels are powerful. These are not small players. Mm-hmm. Um, how much pressure until they go, right, we're going to flip that switch off. We're not happy with it anymore. You know, or they'll put heavy licensing agreements in. Maybe they'll say every hotelier needs to be manned. Suddenly all of those SA. <laughs> We've got a problem. Yeah, yeah you've got a problem. So it's, it's, it's brilliant. Um, it's like when, I, when I'm buying a property, if I'm looking at it from an SA point of view, brilliant. But then I'll also be thinking, if I need to sell it, what will I do? And if SA gets switched off, am I still cash flowing as a buy to let? Yeah. If I'm buying it as HMO, great, I'm going to need to restructure the rooms. However, am I going to do what some people are doing where that is a HMO and will only ever be a HMO, which a lot of people are doing to get the highest refinance? I think it's stupid because of the, they're not attacking defensively. Mm-hmm. If they need to suddenly turn that into a buy to let, which they might need to in the near future, they need to spend 40 grand converting it back to a family home. Mm-hmm. And so it's all, it's all about just, I think attacking defensively, as I said, is probably the best way of saying it. I think that's the, the best way I've heard it said. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Even with like the council tax new regulations with the um, HMOs, mm-hmm. with the en-suites, and now they're ch- trying to charge them additional council tax for each HMO, which is going to disrupt all of these margins. Yeah. And spending all that money to convert it back in the exit strategy, not really being there, even though that's a really difficult... Um, kind of legislation to really predict is coming in, which is but which will screw a lot of people over. But yeah, the, the defensive is really key. It will probably be the tenants that pay for it. I mean, from a landlord's perspective, talking brutally about it, we're fortunate that these tenant fee bans and things like that have come in at the same time because we don't really lose from it. Mm. The the agent will try to pass off costs to the landlord, which, which will be a slow process. But then we'll just up rents. Mm-hmm. So the tenants are like, yeah, we've won. It's not the case, unfortunately. That's never um, the case for entrepreneurs, though. Like, that money always comes from somewhere. 
Like, there's not there's not many business people, entrepreneurs out there, who are going to go. Okay, look, you're going to take, you know, you're going to take a percentage of, of of what we earn. That money's going to come from somewhere. Like someone's going to get charged more, or something's going to happen. Typically, people that aren't entrepreneurs, they talk about entrepreneurs like money grabbers, mm. and it might be true. Um, but there's always, like factually, not an opinion, there is always a fair exchange of value over the long term. Mm-hmm. So if I'm putting out my services and I'm charging. 25 grand for something that could be the best investment or it could be a crock of shit what will happen is the feedback will come through and I will have to adjust accordingly if it's just I'm continuing to get look this is not worth 25 grand now I hate I will never lower prices ever if I if I think it's worth it my approach would be great what value do I need to add for mm-hmm. it to be and I think that's an important lesson for people trying to be successful successful don't lower your prices increase your value you know, because price is what you pay, value is what you get, and people will always pay the price if they think they're getting the value. And it's the same with lets. You know, when a tenant is letting a property, if the going rate is £700 a month, you're not being greedy. That's what you need to charge to make yeah. it a viable investment and mm-hmm. not look aside the opportunity cost of somebody else coming in. That's not being greedy. And that's the thing, when these increased costs come in and the landlords need to get their set returns which might be 20% might be 15% whatever it is if that then goes down to 9% so they need to increase the rent by 50 quid then that's something they need to factor in and the reason I'm saying that's fortunate for HMO landlords that what's happening with them simultaneous with this is what they're likely going to have to do is increase everyone's rent by 30 quid a month which is now okay because buy-to-lets have increased. Because really most people are living in HMOs because they can't really afford the alternative. Yeah, exactly. So from, from the aspect of you starting your business with Dan, um, how did you divide your like roles and what was like your strengths in terms of Dan's strengths? Um, we're, we're very, very fortunate in that we very much have the same vision we're very aligned on the direction we want to go in. And Which is imperative, right? Wouldn't you say? Or not? Long term is definitely imperative. It's not the most important thing at the start. General direction, yes. You know, we both want to be successful and earn some money. I think that's enough. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's a reason to be business partners, <laughs> but I'm saying you, you don't need to be two peas in a pod, you know, you, yeah. you really don't. So me and Dan, we're like chalk and cheese. Like I often, and I've said this to him, to the set on a podcast, I often think about it and I go, I wonder if we met today and would we still be friends? Because <laughs> he's so unique, he's so different. You were school friends, were you? We're school friends, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, the truth is, he thinks I've got the hardest job in the world. I'm there going, are you fucking kidding me? I get to have a laugh every single day and just play around. I get to make money. That's so easy. <laughs> but that's so easy. Sales, marketing, easy. He, like, if you, if you like, we actually said, what's the best day? And I was like, I'd go to breakfast with clients. I'd do phone calls with investors. I'd go to lunch with clients. I'd go do more phone calls. I'd do some marketing. I'd do a couple of podcasts. I'd then go to dinner with clients. And I'm going to go to sleep dreaming of clients. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, that's my worst day. And here's the idea of the perfect day. It would be... In fact, on a Saturday at two in the morning, I know I'll be in bed, getting ready for the next day. He'll be in his office, looking at spreadsheets. 
two in the morning, guaranteed every single week. That's what we'd be doing. He's the numbers guy, right? He's the numbers guy. Like, mm-hmm. I, I love numbers. I, I like math, but he's a lot better at it than me. And he genuinely enjoys putting it all together. He'll look at holes in our system and go, right, I'm shutting myself in my room for three weeks and mm-hmm. I'm going to come out with something amazing. And I'll go, yeah, you crack on. But that's it. He'll, he'll leave me alone and I'll make 50, 100 grand, whatever. Mm-hmm. And he'll crack on doing all that. The, the, the thing is, I'm sort of like the, the terrier, if you like, that's going out there, digging everywhere, mm-hmm. not really looking what's behind me. And then he's there catching all the dirt mm-hmm. and making sure it actually goes back in place. And the, the, the truth is that a lot of people look at me out of our relationship as the one that's driving it all. And that, that's easy to see because I'm in the fortunate situation where I am the front man, I am sales, I am marketing. But what's really important is I, I couldn't be me mm-hmm. without Dan being Dan. And it's a synergy, one plus one, one equals three. You know, if I were on my own, I wouldn't be half of the pie. I just wouldn't. And I know that's true the other side. So I think it really helps that we have the same vision, we get on really well, and, um, and we have very different qualities, very different strengths, very different weaknesses. Um, and that's not to say we're a perfect pair, by the way, that we, we both have a lot of weaknesses that we both have, but we recognize it. And I, I think Gary says this a lot, um, self-awareness is one of the most powerful things you can have. And I think one thing that's made us quite successful at a young age is we're, we're relatively self-aware of our weaknesses and so the people we hire are the complete opposite of us mm-hmm. and that's that can be hard sometimes because their personalities are very different they think very differently you know they actually stop working at five and i get confused <laughs> <laughs> because they only get paid till five and yeah. it's like what the fuck are you doing now we're starting you know and to be fair they all work hard my staff but but that's their mindset um, but I do think it's important to be self-aware of who you are. And I think for people that are listening, thinking about getting a business partner, there's, there's two things I'd, I'd say about it is don't ever get a business partner just because you can't afford to hire somebody different. You know, a lot of people do that at start because they don't have the 30 grand in their account to hire somebody. They'll go, I'll tell you what, we'll give you a 50% partner. If they add massive value, you get on with them, you can see a future with them. It is a marriage. Yeah, That's what I said, isn't um, it? Um, it is a marriage. Mm. You are giving away 50% of your baby, mm. you know, forever. Mm. Don't, don't give that up lightly um, at the beginning, you know. And, and with that, you, you need to nurture into it. A lot of people, sometimes it works out, especially, you know, like I had the, the fortunate thing of going to school with Dan, getting to know him. I knew he was a twat from the beginning, you know, <laughs> and he knew I was a twat from the beginning. There was no surprises there, yeah. um, but we were best mates. And then we did these little side hustles and we made mistakes and all the fun and all of that, and we built it up. But if you don't have that, don't meet somebody at a networking event which a lot of people do. Got, you guys might have done it. <laughs> yeah, we did that. Yeah, yeah. Kind of we did that at a course. We, we did that at a course. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, people do it. And sometimes it works out, but you guys are an anomaly. 
And that's the thing, like, this is why people, when people ask me about the journey, like you did earlier, I say, please don't look at my journey yeah. too much. And it's the same with you, like people watching and seeing you guys, please don't look at you two and think that's the right way. It's not. Mm-hmm. And I'm not slating you guys, yeah, but, no, no, right. you know, you didn't know each other. You, you now know stuff about each other, but maybe if you knew right at the start, you'd be like, hmm, maybe yeah, a bit 100%, wary. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> He's a twat. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but you do, you find out these things and it's like, ah, oh, cool. But there'll also be strengths that you've learned about each other where it's cool. Mm-hmm. So, you know, treat it like a marriage. You don't go out, see a girl across the room and go, right, better get the diamonds out, right? You, you meet her, you ask for a number, you meet up a couple of times, go for a coffee, and over a period, you know, even if it takes you a year to find that right person for your business, it's worth putting in that time. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I'd say about it is, I, I like talking about people in, in terms of battery packs. So I think really people are divided into people that have got their own batteries and people that have got an en- empty battery pack. That's people that bring their own batteries are the people that get up, like, let's fucking go. Let's hustle, let's move it, let's go, go, go. Every single one of my staff is one of those people. You very quickly know the people without it because you're constantly having to monitor them and push them and micromanage them. Mm. And, and it's draining. Because the thing is, it's not just them not doing their job, it's you no longer doing your job because you're, you're giving that, because yeah. you're concentrating on that person. So focus on um, getting people that bring their own batteries. And that's, that's with business partners that's with employees and and nothing that gary says which i say a lot as well you know you've got to get good at hiring but great at firing Mm -hmm. that's not just with staff that's with people in your life that's with friends it's with family um you know it's with business partners if if they're because it becomes cancerous you know i know it's strong but it is it's just like if they are negative and bringing you down you are coming to go down with them. I've said this so many times. It's like pruning trees. You just cut the bad food off sometimes. You've got to like, sometimes you've got to make adjustments, haven't you? Like, mm-hmm. And like you say, if, like, all the time you, you can notice it, especially in a working environment, if there's one person that's the negative person, sooner or later that does start to affect everyone else. Mm. And things just go around like that way. If you imagine it, I don't know why weird analogies come into my head, but yeah, you like analogies. Hey? I love, I love analogies. Seriously, I love analogies. It's how my brain works out stuff. If you imagine two people equally as strong, okay, just as strong as each other, one of them's positive, one of them's negative. So if one of them's pulling up and one of them's pulling down, basically, if you imagine somebody hanging from the ceiling, they're they're booted in to it, so they're strapped in and they're holding your weight. So you're pulling them down and they're trying to pull you up. If you imagine the person trying to pull you up, that's fucking difficult, right? Trying to pull all of that weight up. Whereas you pulling them down is really easy. Mm-hmm. And so that's what's kind of happy with life. Every person you surround yourself with, in one way or another, is pushing you in the right direction or pulling you behind an anchor or a drive. And the thing is, with those anchor, you don't realize, because you've had it all your life, you're just running and you, you don't realize how much they're pulling off. And it's only when you cut those people out and you're really flying forward, you realize, shit, like now I'm moving. Now I'm really going. The great thing then is now you've developed the muscles to run with the anchor, let alone without it. So you can really fly. And I, th- I, th- I just think people don't realize who you're surrounding yourself with and really think about how much it affects the outcome of your life. That's interesting. That I do like your analogies because they go quite in depth, don't they? Yeah. Well, that's that's like 
quite classic though in terms of um removing negative energy around you because it is like you said pretty much very cancerous um but we're very fortunate in a way in terms of our vision in terms of the business and like you and dan in your terms of the vision we're lucky we're lucky yeah because when when we first met we did a lot of talking Mm -hmm. like um um, it's going through the process of finding out about each other you know finding out what your values are how you stack and everything like that and it's just quite fortunate that we're quite aligned in that sense mm-hmm. because it doesn't always work out like that you know and, and a lot of the times even like I've had it with even your closest friends because people are not who they are now it's who they're becoming like we're always growing and changing I find and sometimes you start growing in different directions and that's natural yeah exactly but even like some of the, like, the friends that I've had for a long, long time, sooner or later, you just, hang on a minute, we're not genuine anymore. You know, yeah. that, that's the interesting thing about it. Things can change, but we are fortunate in the fact that we are quite aligned. And mm-hmm. obviously you and like your business partner had the, the chance to know each other for a lot longer before getting into business, which again is quite... Beneficial. Yeah. It's beneficial and I think you're absolutely right. And I think the thing to clasp onto that is, you're changing as well yeah and that's okay yeah so you know myself and dan i cannot imagine life without him i cannot imagine business without him it just wouldn't make sense Mm. but i'm also aware that in 10 years time that might not be the case exactly and that's okay Mm -hmm. that you know there's there's no problem there because if we develop in the you know in 10 years time i might decide i want to go on a spiritual retreat for the rest of my life I doubt it, but you know, yeah, it's no, possible. It's no, possible. Yeah. If it's possible, yeah. you, you don't know. And I, I think you need to be open to all of these potential outcomes and yeah. possibilities. Yeah. And because otherwise you just pigeon your hole on what your success is, you know, and, and it's hard in this game because you see all these people doing well on social media and I do mean doing well. Um, and you go, you know what? I want half a million a year. Mm-hmm. And actually what you realize is when you're making a, 200 a year that's a bloody nice lifestyle that's very comfortable and actually the half a million a year or 300,000 more isn't going to make you any happier but you're still chasing that mm-hmm. whereas really subconsciously going you know what I'm actually quite happy now why don't I just chill out and I think it's just again being self-aware and just willing to change your outcomes but people aren't because you're comparing yourself we're always comparing ourselves against the Joneses right the, the thing is 10, 15 years ago the Joneses was the people next door with the slightly nicer car and the slightly nicer grass and the slightly nicer dog and the slightly nicer roof now the Joneses is the world because of Instagram and Facebook and you feel that because you've said this is what I'm going to do that you have to stick with that and I actually think you know what it's okay saying this was my target this year and I've changed it so cool There's no things problem. do change and adapt though like even business plans change into that, don't they? Like you set out what you want to do and it kind of moulds itself into what yeah, it becomes in the end. Things change all the time. You, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Hmm. You know, everyone uses the bloody one to step out in front of a bus. But it's just like literally anything can happen. It's just like, you know, it, I don't get to decide what happens in life. you just got to roll with the punches and you've got your hands, you do what you can with it. I do think um, having a business plan that moulds within in terms of legislation and stuff like that. But you started out with sourcing and you've literally carried on sourcing until I think you're 26 or 27? 27, yeah. So like that's nearly eight years of doing sourcing. Why did, did you ever want to like diversify and go into something else slightly or? 
Yeah, yeah, 100%. So I think I think we were saying this just before, actually. So sourcing... The in a way, isn't it? And it's like that, that initial thing, the initial cash flow, and then... Yeah, well, that, that's why it started, because I was just like, well, I've got no money, and that's the thing that seems to make money. And then I was like, right, this is actually making quite a lot of money. And then I seemed to have a shift a few years ago where it suddenly went, actually, if I stop focusing on the money and start focusing on adding value Mm -hmm. to people, then I enjoy myself more. And I started doing that and suddenly I started making more money because people were seeing that actually I'm not interested in money, I'm just trying to add value to people. So the better we served our clients, the more money we made from them because they just, they didn't use anyone else. They just kept on coming back and back and back. Mm And then so as it's we, recurring then it's, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah that's it you know you know like it's about retaining customers um pe- people seem to work hard at, diff- at both ends of the spectrum and you see this in relationships you see it in life you see it in business but nobody seems to talk about it you work bloody hard getting the thing on the client on the girl interested in you and then they're finally going out with you they're finally a paying customer they're finally working with you a staff member and then you don't really pay attention to them until they're about to dump you, until they're about to go with somebody else, until they're about to quit. Mm-hmm. And then you go, oh, no, 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 stay, stay, it's going to be magical. And in fact, if people just spent time giving a shit about their clients now, they'd make a hell of a lot more money. Mm-hmm. But most people don't seem to do that. But because they don't understand the concept. I mean, it's, it's the, in business, I suppose, acquiring the customer is the most expensive thing, right? Getting key the retention. Is, is a lot cheaper. Retention is a lot cheaper, but hard mm. um, because because people don't actually give a shit about their clients, and that's where they're going wrong. From from and your perspective, sorry to cut you off, but like from doing um, like we were ideally going to start out doing sourcing, sure. um, but then we decided to go into service accommodation for the cash flow business so we could have the cash flow, have the buffer because of the recurring revenue. Exactly. Essentially, what you're in saying, comparison, because yeah. like I had a roomlet company which I had on the side. And that was more of a sales game, very similar to um, deal sourcing, but it was consistently, um, you know, sometimes you'll make the money, sometimes you won't make the money, it'll be large sums of money, and then it'll be a small amount of money, so it's difficult to really and truly gauge. In terms from that perspective, what do you think about going into SA at the beginning of a, of a property journey, um, going into SA or deal sourcing? Depends on somebody's situation. Do you mean, do you mean in a case of, I don't have much money to begin with? Um, in in both situations, let's say you've got no money and you wanted to go, let's say you've got 20 grand and you wanted to go into either deal sourcing because the monthly income in terms of quite easily, quite easily making like 10, 15 grand in comparison to service accommodation where you need to spend six to eight grand to be obtaining one grand, 800 pounds, 700 pounds a month from one deal, but consistently spending that money and finding those investments and taking quite a long period of time to obtain that cash flow. I, I think do both. Like I I do believe in focus, but when people talk about focus, I like I mean don't do ten things at once. But doing that is is having another tool in your toolbox. I'd be going in with okay, my main aim is to acquire these assets or control these assets at the start and then maybe own them in the future. In the meantime, I'll package some on at the same time. So the reason you want to do that is you go out there, you find some rent to SAs, and the first four or five are going to be dog shit. By the way, don't take them on. Like even if you, even <laughs> that's if you, interesting. Even if you want them, they're going to be dog shit. Yeah, don't do them. If you've done your level of due diligence on each property, and you've run your numbers and everything like that, would you say that's still the case, or what? Well, what I'm 
know now. Yeah, like, so you say, like, your first four or five deals are just going to be complete shit. Um, like, one, why do you think that is? Um, and two, do you think you can mitigate that by running your numbers and doing more due diligence? Yeah, it's, so the reason I think that is because people are so impatient Oh yeah, especially um, at the start as well. Yeah, for, and I'll, I'll give a prime example of what, what every single person, including myself, including Dan, I guarantee you guys have done it. You'll look at it and go, right, I reckon I'll make £90 a night, 70% occupancy, we'll do it on that. And you'll go, oh, only makes 300 I actually think it'd make £95 a night. You convince, you convince oh, yourself. Now, yeah, now, yeah. now it makes 600 a month. Now it's a good deal. <laughs> yeah. We've all done it, right? So you fucking do it. Yeah. You, you skew the numbers to make it fit because you're so hungry mm-hmm. to post that picture of the keys on Facebook. Yeah? But you're not so fucking hungry to go bankrupt. Mm-hmm. Just, just be patient with it. Put in the due diligence, you know, we're talking about Grant Cardone actually, he bought his first property, it's complete shit, old, yeah. stupid investment, and then he spent three years, he was able to invest in his first one within eight months, but he didn't, he looked at them, analysed them, let the deal go, and looked at it, and watched it, and monitored it for those years, now he's one of the biggest real estate moguls in America. Well, he says, I mean, actually, word for word, is he says, I have never, ever lost money. On a real estate deal. Yeah. Well, even his first one, he just broke even, didn't he? But, <laughs> but well, that's why I said that because that was interesting because I didn't know that. Yeah. But yeah. he said that before. Never, ever, ever lost money. Yeah, yeah. But it's patience, and I, th- I think that's it. The the problem at the beginning of the journey, especially people that have got little to no money, mm-hmm. is I need money. I need money. I need money. And the problem when you're thinking like that, you're only thinking six months from now. Yeah. Yeah. No, in five years ago, you're going to fucking laugh at yourself. You're all idiots in the first year. Mm-hmm. You're idiots in the first five years. I hope in 10 years I look at myself now and think, you idiot. Like, <laughs> I genuinely think that. I hope that. And the thing is, when you're so hungry and only focusing on the, the six months, you're not realising you've got... I mean, how old are you guys? 20, 20, well, you're 24. I'm just about to turn 24. <laughs> yeah, so almost mid-20s. You've got the next 60 years, 70 years of hustling to go, Mm. you know. Even people watching this, if you're 50, 60, you're fucking young. You've still got years of doing this. You know, if you've got 10 years ahead of you, patience. 10 years or more, patience. If you've only got a year, what the fuck are you doing? Just go piss it up. Just go enjoy yourself. Go do stupid shit. If you genuinely think you've got a year left, why even bother? Mm-hmm. It's like, but if you've got 10 years, just install patience in what you're doing. And I think that's, that's the big reason. Your, your second question was about mitigating it. It's about getting educated. And mm-hmm. I, I'm not on this podcast to try and pitch education at mm-hmm. all. But get educated and get a bloody mentor. That's um, the first thing we did. Yeah, to be exactly. Honest. Exactly. You've got to. And, and it's not even about getting the deal. Um, you know, it's... Even if it's a six-month mentorship and you don't get a single deal in there, it's about how much did you learn. Yeah. And I often say to people, you're learning or you're earning. Mm-hmm. As long as you're doing one of them, then happy days. And if you can learn by investing 15 grand into a mentor, which is nothing 
in, in the, the grand, grand scheme, scheme of things. Yeah, grand scheme, yeah. You know, it's absolutely nothing in the grand scheme of things. So you don't have to make those mistakes that will cost you 10, 15, 20. Because the thing is, yes, so you're stress as well that you go oh, through. mate, yeah. Say, say you're rent to SA. You do your numbers. You've, you've smudged them because we all do. You're going to make 1,200, right? Then you think, holy shit, I've got to get a manager in place. Forgot about that. Oh, they're charging me 15% of gross. That's not counting booking.com and all of the other stuff that's going to come off. Suddenly that 1,200 is actually 600. And actually it's not 80% occupancy. It's more like 65% occupancy. Now I'm making 200 pound a month. Mm -hmm. And hey, actually now it's winter. Now I'm still needing to pay that rent and nobody's renting it from me because I've not thought about the winter months. So now I'm losing a thousand pound a month. A few months in, you realise you've got no money in your bank account. Now you're fucked. You've signed a five-year agreement. Five-year agreement. People just think you can walk away from it. You don't. You can't just walk away. Now, you can mitigate it. You get replacement. You buy out of the contract. Most people in that situation started with their 10, 15 grand. Now they're on minus three in a credit card. And then they decide property doesn't work for me. And that's it. So what's the one bit of advice that you would give to someone that was looking at starting that specific journey you talk about there. What, what, what should they do? Firstly, they should get educated. Secondly, they should obviously get a mentor, right? But is there anything else that... I, you know what? I think it is. And, and I say education and mentor, and I don't mean go and pay for a course and go pay for a mentor. Like, it'd be in my interest to you know, get in touch with me, I'll mentor you, but I'm not interested in mm-hmm. mentoring people. You know, what, what mastermind can you get on? Mm-hmm. For most people, we talk about um, mentorship. Like, you know, my mentorship's 15 grand. For some people, it's just like, yeah, brilliant. For a lot of people, that's not right for them. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't accept them. The mastermind is probably more going to be mm-hmm. for those people at the start of their journey. So if, if they are going to get in touch, that's what to be looking at. It's a lot cheaper. And more importantly, you're not ready to do it on your own. You need to be surrounded by people. You'd be shocked how powerful it is meeting up each month where other people are on the same journey as you and pushing forward. But other than that, it is getting yourself around people as much as possible, even if it's networking events and hopefully people higher than you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you are the average of the five people and all of that. And what I mean by that, I mean really stretch yourself. If you're at the start and you can hang out with five millionaires, every month you can't help but think differently mm-hmm. within a year you know you will be a completely different person within that year i think that that's probably the single most important thing i think the second thing and part a and part b is measuring your expectations and doing something every day to work towards it mm-hmm. so instead of you know pe- people go i want to be on five grand a month within three months and that's pretty much the go-to with fucking everything. Like, that was definitely mine. It might have been your guys. I don't know what yours one, your one was. But if you said, you know what? For the first nine months, I have no expectations. I'm going to work every hour that I've got outside of work. Don't quit your job suddenly, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to work every hour that I've got towards this. And in the next three months, I want to get one really, really good deal. And then next year, I want a deal a month. If you said that, that's real, you know? So that's where in five years, you can have a portfolio of 50 to 100. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, if you look at that five year period, it might be one in the first year, might be five in the second year, might be 10 in the third year. You know, you're still only on 16 properties out of your 50, then it might be 15 and then 20. You know, you'll be shocked. Then the exponential growth, yeah. You'll be shocked. 
And then one, once you get to about 30 grand a month, that's when growth really gets exciting because now you've got money to actually invest in your marketing mm-hmm. and your growth of the business. But get getting your first five, first five grand a month is the hardest money you'll ever make. Seriously, getting five grand a month is so hard. Getting 50 grand a month, a lot easier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Seriously, a lot easier. Mm. So with regards to, um, I know the meat of a lot of the subjects in, especially the property industry is sourcing. And so like, what what is it you source most? Like with um, We Sell BMV, is that just like below market value property? Is that the, the main thing you source or is there other things you source for? No, it started as that because mm-hmm. that's all there really was really. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason I liked packaging is it will always be around. And then once you've got the business, the marketing, the concept and the negotiation skills, all of that, all it takes is the new fad to come in, whether that fad's a year or five years, cool, then we just start finding those opportunities okay. for people. You know, so you find all of them then? Or? We do now, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we find lease options. Rent to SA, we're looking to source 100 this year okay. of those. So that, you know, because people are hungry for them. And we look at a lot of sources out there, mm-hmm. um, sourcing absolute shite. And you look at the numbers and it's just like, the room rates aren't right. They've not factored in fees. That's They've your not factored business. in management. Yeah. And it's just like, and it pisses me off because it gives everyone else a bad name. They're not mm-hmm. compliant, you know, mm-hmm. which, which might seem like a small thing, but when something goes wrong with your deal, how do you escalate it? Yeah. But that's obviously, that, that in itself is like a means to an end. I mean, your business is about like managing the relationships, right? And doing good deals, giving people good deals. Otherwise you wouldn't have a business essentially. But I mean, with regards to like the sourcing, say for example, Rent to SA. Yeah. Generally, there's like a generalized thing you can do. You can do direct to vendor marketing with your landlord letters. You can do your leaflet drops. You can do direct to agent by going in there, talking to them on the phone, setting up alerts. Where does it like, with you, obviously you're, you're kind of leveraging the digital marketing world, which is what I'm quite, like, I like, because I like, find a lot of the educational courses are quite focused on older methods. Yeah, old school. Yeah, it's old school. So I mean, what sort of platforms would you, I know LinkedIn's great for investors, but I mean, what sort of other platforms would you use digitally that you could like leverage them in order to get rent to SA deals, for example? Rent to SA, um, LinkedIn's really good for it, actually. Oh, really? Um, yeah, targeting developers. Okay. Um, and yeah, it's, always, it's always thinking one step away. It's called one step away marketing. Mm-hmm. So Zoopla did this really well. Zoopla was going to be going bust a few years ago, uh, a few years, about 10 years ago. Um, and they just weren't doing very well because they thought their customers were estate agents. Mm-hmm. And it kind of is because it's the estate agent that pays them, but really their customers, the person trying to sell the house. So then they started doing advertisements on TV to you and me, everyday Joes, go in. Look, if you're selling your house, make sure your agent is signed up with Zoopla or Zoopla accredited or something mm-hmm. like that. If they're not, don't go with them. And suddenly people were going in and going, are you Zoopla accredited? And like, no, what's that? No, sorry, we're not going with you. Interesting. Suddenly, they're nowhere near as big as right moves. They won't be for a long time, but mm. they grew huge. So in the same thing, you know, if you think about rent service accommodation, you can do the house thing. The problem is when you're going on a, a, a one property, mm. one house, is 
every other person is approaching that person with a different angle. So, you know, oh, I want to buy a house, maybe I'll lease option, maybe I'll do a rent to rent, maybe I'll do a rent to SA, whatever it is. Whereas if you think a bit bigger and you say, okay, what about if I took a block of 16 on? Cool, mm-hmm. that could get interesting. So then I'm thinking, who gets access to those but wouldn't be interested in those? Because there's definitely people, there's always people. So then I'm thinking, okay, who deals with large residential sites? Mm-hmm. What would constitute as large? Maybe 100, 50 plus maybe. And why wouldn't they be interested in small ones? Because they're not 16, not interested. Cool, who does that? Uh, Jones Lang LaSalle, Cushman Wakefield. Those sort of players. Um, Ballymore. Ballymore. Few, few of us, there'll be five or six. EG, EHG. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those ones. You can target the HR managers that work at those firms on LinkedIn and do a video ad saying, did you know we're looking for properties up to 25 units developed in the last six months or getting finished in the next six months and just by passing on the lead you can earn up to £10,000. So then people at HR go, well, we get loads of those in. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by passing on the lead? Well, look, look, what we're trying to do is develop a relationship, blah, blah, blah. I'm guessing you don't do it. No, it's too small for us. Well, look, what we're trying to do is this. If we agree it and we get it contracted up, we'll pay you ten thousand pound per block, minimum of ten. Wow! And then you'll be selling each one on for like three to four grand. Yeah, three to five. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That's, that's, I like that. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> <as well. laughs> so, so, so that's quite an effective route mm. um, to get blocks. And and this is where you were asking about. Do I do rent to SA or do I do packaging? Well, with that, if you did that marketing strategy, yeah. you might spend a grand on ads and you'll probably get about 20 units. That, that's not bad. So you mm-hmm. sign up those 20 units, you make sure they're assignable and you do a minimum lease so you, you don't pay anything until somebody signed the contract. So you're not assuming mm-hmm. cost. You might decide out of those 20, you're gonna keep three of them. Why not? You keep the penthouses because they're gonna be the best ones and then everyone else does it. The great thing about developers is the management contract, the freehold, the leasehold, sorry, is the last thing they're writing. So you go, no, it needs to allow for holiday letters. Then you can package that on and hey, fuck it. You're already doing it in the area anyway. Most people are self-managing in your situation at the start. Why don't you manage other people's and chuck your 20% on? Now you don't need to worry about them being your competition. You earn from them as well. But the the thing is, and this is what I mean about not rushing, because actually if you just think that way, okay, you might not know LinkedIn's the best way to get there, but everything else I just said you could have thought of on your own. Yeah. It's just sat down and going, hold on, what's the problem with what we even if you don't think there's a problem with what you're doing, if you just ask yourself, what's the problem with how we're doing business now? You'll come up with problems. Mm -hmm. How do I overcome them? Or would I have this problem if I were looking at it from this way? You know, it's, it's just approaching it in the right way, actually thinking about it. And it's hard in today's world because everything's go, 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 go. Every time you go on Facebook, somebody else has got a deal that's not you. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, shit, why is everyone else doing well? It's just like, cool, those quick movers are often the people that fall off the post quick. Mm-hmm. You know, just take it slow, be patient, 
and just put in the input be smart about it and you will get results that's perfect because even with like Facebook per se do you use Facebook to leverage and find motivated sellers yeah, um, yeah do you use agents I mean. through Facebook as well or is it just specifically direct to vendor agents not so much um, only only because agent relationships are easy like again it's just being pragmatic with it um, in your approach vendors yes for single units that's going to be a majority of where we're placing in Facebook so it'll be a casual video ad it'll be me going oh guys I've just got back from a walk around this area I thought I'd be finding something I'm actually thinking that area is not so good now I'm thinking about this area um, look I'm really desperate to find one or two properties in the next month if you can help me out I'm happy to give you a couple hundred quid a drink you know really casual like that so it's not doesn't feel like an ad at all it's just like people are looking at you going well it's not threatening in any way you're still going to get people going it's a scam and all that because you do mm-hmm. as soon as you put any Facebook ad out everyone's ready to call it a scam but that's one of the best ways and you're targeting like honestly if you want to get scared spend a weekend just going through targeting it has to be on a Facebook page it can't be on like your normal profile and see how targeted you can oh, get oh I know yeah it's scary it's crazy it's scary there was a story once it's actually got it's not as good as it used to be because Facebook got um, they got a load of data didn't they a while back but um, there was a story a while (laughs) like years ago where this guy was an absolute whiz on it and he wanted to find his perfect wife and basically he you can do behaviours not nowhere near as what you could do back then but put all all of these behaviours he could think about narrowed it down to all these people very tight selection did a load of Facebook ads basically going right I'm reaching out to you because you take this box this box this box this box here's who I am and he's married her married one of the girls <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy so that's your funny. life can change by Facebook ads yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's but, my key takeaway from today yeah <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's it and it's just um, no Facebook ads is really good I, th- I think it's just about consistency you know like but honestly, I'd, I'd love the challenge of it. If we met up this Sunday, say for example, and we just came in here with a laptop and a phone, I guarantee by the end of the day I could find a deal. Mm-hmm. It's just like, that would work, that would tick boxes, that either you'd want to sell onto somebody or take on yourselves. It's really that simple. But because people get up and they go, right, we've got to do two hours of admin, mm-hmm. then we've got to do an hour of this, and then an hour of that. And then you get those weird people at the start going, that's not good enough for me, I need to outsource that. It's just like, why are you outsourcing that? It's just like, well, because my IGT is this. And it's like, right, how much money do you earn? Well, nothing yet. Then your IGT is fuck all. <laughs> you are worth nothing. Stop trying to outsource a seven pound an hour job when you're earning nothing. You know, I get it if you're yeah. doing those high values. No, you no one is. Nobody sat there doing call after call to investor. You're not. You know, you've got to put the effort in getting yourself out there, putting some ads together, getting some branding out there, whatever what you're doing to bring people in. Um, but it's, it's so simple. People just overcomplicate. You just got to put yourself out there consistently every single day. And you know what? It might be next week. It might be in six months, but money will start getting attracted to you. Mm-hmm. If you what could give us like one or two of um, the biggest failures that you've gone through <laughs> besides the, the 250K that you spent when you were 19. Would you class that as a failure? 
Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was... Yeah, I don't know. Like, no, I probably wouldn't class it as a failure. It was being a stupid kid, you know, and I learned a lot from it. I wish I had a big one for you. I do. I don't. I don't really have any big failures. I fuck up all the time. Mm-hmm. I fucked up this morning. Like honest, honestly, I make mistakes every single day. Almost all of my mistakes come from not doing something. I missed out on a sale because I was too slow. A vendor pulled out because I didn't push it. Um, a client potential mentee went with somebody else because I didn't show them enough value. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all about I didn't do enough. And like, I'm sorry, that's probably not the answer you wanted. I don't, I don't have really any big, oh, I fucked this up. You know, I've, I've made some mistakes on properties and lost a bit of money, made a bit of money, because that's just part of the journey. Yeah. But I don't have any, I bought this block and I lost half a million or anything like oh, that. Okay. that. That was my big one. I, I learned that once. I don't need to learn it again. Yeah. Um, but it is about that. It's just like, you know, all these small things, small mistakes, correct it. Small mistakes, correct it. I don't want any big ones. But like, you know, I, I think maybe one of the more continued things is my lack of patience and it's something i try to push people to have more of because i also want to have more of it so part of being young bullish i want you know i want to be assertive aggressive i'm not willing to wait is the people that are 50 60 year old will be looking at me going calm down you know why are you in such a rush it's just like being polite, I don't want to be your fucking age by the time. <laughs> yeah. I'm and it's and it's and it's not it's not an insult. It's just like, look, I'm hungry now, so go mm. with me or get out of my way. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that attitude, I need to tailor a little bit because sometimes it's like, yeah, get out of my way. But there's a polite way of doing it where I think sometimes my weakness is if I feel somebody's in my way, I will just be like, get the fuck out of my way, mm-hmm. and you're slowing me down. So I'd say that's probably a weakness rather than a big mistake. But apart from that, just learning like everyone else. And like I said earlier, it's just making more mistakes than everyone else is trying. I think that's it. And in terms of like growth for your business, for both of those businesses, or like at least the two main businesses, I would say, uh, Weasel BNV and Aspire Properties, yeah. what's the, where are you looking for them to be in, let's say, five years' time? Financially... Financially or even any, any, any aspect? Okay, fi- financially a quarter of a million a month um, mm-hmm. within three years. I'd like it to get to that. Mm-hmm. Um, Where are you now, sorry, in correlation to that? You're like 50 to 100, is that right? Or? Yeah, about yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's hitting it consistently is the mm-hmm. key. Exactly. Um, you, you're always going to have the odd month where you hit lower because mm-hmm. it's seasonal like anything. People go on holiday. But yeah, that... I want to be the biggest in the UK. I think we're about third now. Okay, who's your competitors? If you don't, I'm yeah. there's a there's a group called Property Insight, but they're kind of wrapping down now because the guys mainly doing training, so they're not doing much now. So is that something that you want to get into at all? Or? Training. Well, I do a lot of mentoring and I do a lot of masterminding, and I love it. Um, I love delivering courses. Like I did deliver deal packaging course at um, Progressive. As you know, I've run the business courses there, so pretty much the whole business section, I've run those. I've got no interest in doing it myself, only because I don't want to run an events company. Mm. Um, 
I don't like the idea of having to run loads of ads to try and get people into yeah. and all of that. It's, like, it's brilliant. It's a brilliant model. I like the high value stuff. So I'm doing a lot of masterminding, um, which I absolutely love. And the, the, the reason why I did that is when I was part of it all, I realized the biggest problem people had with the group one was you get the mentor you want, but then the next month you had to go with a different mentor because somebody else got them. And it's just like, so I just do it separately where it's me and Dan every single month. Love it, works brilliantly. People get really good results. And, and again, we're just value focused. So we make a promise around it. And we just say, if you don't reach that promise, we'll just give you your money back. Mm. It's like, cool, nobody, nobody can possibly lose from it. So that side of the education, yes, I love doing it. The thing that, I'm not saying it's right, I'm not saying it's wrong, it's something I don't agree with. What I see a lot of in the space is people that are property people, i.e. did property a few years back. And this is why I think it's a fucking old school. Like, oh, you got your leaflets. Is it going to be glossy? Is it oh, fuck off, mate. Right. And it's because they used to do property and it's not what works now. Um, that's what I have a problem with. And the reason for that is education is pretty easy money, um, you know, because people want to get educated. They're willing to part of money and it's high profit margins. So what you have is people that actually they spend all of their time training people and not very much time actually doing the thing they're training on. That's fine. It's not what I want. And so something that's part of my value is I am I love training people, but I always want to know more than everyone else in the industry. And I think I'm close to that now mm-hmm. um, without sounding too cocky. And I want that to continue. So all of my time, 80%, 70% of it will be in property. I will always, like I've got my sales team, but I'll still be on the phones. I'll still be talking to vendors because I need to be in it. I need to know the regulation changes. I need to know what going to a vendor's house is like nowadays. I need to understand their attitudes. I need to understand what marketing works and doesn't work because it's moving so quickly now that it's not even five years ago, it's six months ago doesn't work anymore mm-hmm. and so yes i love education but that's what i want from it that's the value exchange again i'm not knocking the other trainers that maybe aren't doing that it's just not, not my prerogative you. not my yeah. prerogative yeah and i just think that that's because that's my idea of a value exchange that doesn't mean it's right though and the final question being about your book when would that be coming out? Because I remember you speaking about it and it was something that you were talking about in terms of deal sourcing and you said it was called the deal sourcing Bible. Deal packaging Bible, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's not actually got the official launch date, but I'm going to talk to my team about just getting it out. And the, the reason why it didn't end up getting out because it's been written for six months at least, at least. I'll say they've been writing again then. <laughs> probably, it, probably it, probably, it probably will. Um, and what I wanted from it is, uh, the reason I didn't launch it is because I was going to launch it with Progressive. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they're, they're launching loads of stuff. They've, you know, they're a huge company. They're a brilliant company. But it means it gets pushed behind. And I just think, you know what? I'm just going to launch it. Because um, it'd be cool to launch with a bigger company. But I'm just going to launch it because a load of people need it. The reason I wrote it is I was kind of pissed off from all of the books I have read that were just such clear lead magnets mm-hmm. where it's given a tiny amount of value. So I thought, right, I'm setting the title right from the off, Deal Packaging Bible. And I thought, if you're going to call it that, 
it needs to you've be. You've got to deliver all, it, yeah. You, could, you can't call it that. Yeah. And it's got to be all-encompassing, deliver absolutely everything um, in that book. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's what I've called it. I'm, I, I will have to go over it. And it will be one that I update. And I think what I'll probably do with it is I'll do something like I'll write it, people will buy it, and then what I'm going to do is have like an online link and then each six months I'll yeah. update it and make a digital version and give it away for free that people have invested in the first one. Um, I think that's the concept that I want from that. Would you be doing an audible version of it? Just for like personal reasons. Do people really want to hear me droning on? <laughs> you don't, you don't really read. I don't read, I yeah. always just listen. Yeah, I probably will. I probably will do one. I think, again, it's just looking at what the market wants. Yeah. Um, because I'm, I'm a big audible guy you know when you're on the trains you're driving mm-hmm. all that I like reading as well mm-hmm. to be honest um, I think it's a, a, a skill that is going to get dropped over the years <laughs> kind of like writing right most people aren't, can't write reading well is now. a skill though honestly because yeah. I was the same way with you with reading because I find that I just didn't take in the information very well when I was reading and the best thing for that was to read yeah there you go yeah. so now because I read so much now I'm a better reader I yeah. find and I can read more and um, yeah it just it practice again it's like the same with reading as it is with anything else yeah practice that's myself. it so then yeah so that, that'll be out in the next couple of months I imagine um, mm-hmm. get it rewritten because it's, it's all grounded and ready to go and I'll get that out there and then if people want to get in touch in the meantime they can go on probably Instagram's probably worth just mm-hmm. follow me at Jamie York Wealth and then I'll post updates on that with it as well. perfect Perfect. Thank you, Jamie, for coming. No problem at all. Hopefully it's been helpful and uh, I'll come back another time and do some more bits. (laughs)